0: Welcome to Full Spirals, a podcast about how life can take you for a spin, but still leave you grounded. Stories of hope and healing through the arts and the absolute deliciousness of being human. I'm your host, Stacey Parrish. There's an old English proverb that says the month of March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. The winds of early March come roaring in and eventually give way to the milder, calmer days at the end of the month. And I find that my healing process works pretty much the same way, no matter if I'm working through something small in my day-to-day life or something major like healing through a childhood trauma. The lion comes roaring in, tumultuous, unpredictable, and at times even feeling a little bit life threatening. And I respond with a little unnecessary spending, binges on like really trashy TV, and more often than not, a few too many peanut M&M's. Then, my feelings begin to surface, I move through them, and the whole weather system inside me begins to feel more like a docile, stoic, even cuddly lamb. Today's story is about one such lion and lamb-like transformation. What I realized after my birthday last month, on two twenty-two twenty-two, when I turned 55, was that this last year has been about many things, but mostly it's been about moving through and healing from a laundry list of parental abandonments and reconnecting with my faith in myself and the universe. So buckle up. This is a story about mom stuff. You ready? I've mentioned on this podcast before that I spent the majority of my adulthood estranged from my parents because of child sexual abuse and the way my folks reacted to my accusations. And if you're just catching up, the Cliff's Notes version is that they responded by sending me two letters from their attorney. One was for me, and one they wanted me to deliver to my then therapist, whom they were accusing of planting the memories in my head. They then proceeded to send videotapes from the now-defunct False Memory Syndrome Foundation to my then-husband's family, friends, and his employer, all to try to enlist their help in bringing me back from the brink of insanity. Their version of events was that I was the victim of, quote-unquote, bad therapy, and badly needed everyone's help to smash my delusions. The year was 1998, and I was 31 years old. This response by them was a second, devastating abandonment for me, but I didn't feel a single second of it. By now, I knew how not to. The grooves of dissociation were well-worn, and I was a pro. Glennon Doyle brilliantly says in her book, Untamed, you keep protecting yourself from losses that have already happened. Ugh, feel that. And it sums up a big portion of my adult life. And nowhere is this more true than in my relationship with my mom and the effects that it's had on all of my relationships. So as is often the case in families of incest, our family had a carefully crafted facade with lots of secrets and a complex system of shame and gaslighting. And our family facade was that of the perfect, loving, upper middle-class family. If it had existed, we would have looked fabulous on Facebook. My dad owned his own business, he was successful and well-respected in the community, and my mom, she was the perfect little wife, beautiful, a crafty homemaker, and the consummate entertainer. Perfect. The illusion was so complete that even I bought it. That is until I got married and started a family of my own, and the memories of the abuse surfaced. Once that happened, the illusion was smashed And I had a lot to grieve and grieve I did for years and years. Every Christmas I was reminded of the family I never had while watching all those movies and commercials with deliriously happy families gathering for the holidays. I actually believed that those families existed. I've since transcended this delusion, but at the time, it was very real, and it was really painful. It felt like everyone else had a healthy, loving, nuclear family to go home to and create special memories with. And I, I just had to hold my breath underwater until January 2nd. Every April, I would spiral down into a depression, completely mystified, Until I'd remember that Mother's Day was approaching, and that's why I was once again in the middle of a bottomless ache. And compounding things was the overriding cultural message at the time, that blood is thicker than water. I always felt like my grief and anguish was my own fault. I was simply getting what I deserved. If I wanted my family and my life so bad, all I had to do was go back to them. But hey, newsflash... Choosing between my truth and my family was no choice at all. So I worked through all of that. I worked through the grief and it took a long time. I cried in support groups. I sobbed in the fetal position, many a late night. I wrote and wrote and wrote some more. I've spent more years in therapy than I have not in therapy. I went deep inside and I did the work. I grieved the relationship my mom and I never really had, how the toxic nature of my family meant that I could no longer have her in my life, and I grieved that keeping my kids safe meant them not having their grandparents at all. And I realized something else. I realized that my mom was likely a survivor too, and I needed to forgive her for both of us. So I did. In May of 2014, I received a call from my sister and she asked me if I was sitting down. She and I were the only two of our family of six that were estranged from the rest of the family, and she told me that she had awakened around midnight with my mom on her heart and had been moved to Google her name. Stace, she said. Mom died two weeks ago. Boom. Even with the skills I had acquired in all those years of therapy, I was right back in that place where I felt nothing. I talked about how I had always thought about how things would go down when my mom passed. Would I go to the funeral? Would I need to skip it? Would I just send flowers and a note? Would my sister and I go together? But now, here it was. Boom. Game over. Mom was gone. And we learned about it from a Google search and an obituary. I hadn't even been given the opportunity to decide what I wanted to do. So what exactly does a person do with that? Mostly, I did what I've always done to survive. Even with 15 years in recovery and so many years of therapy, the paths within my psyche were pretty well established for times like this, and my system knew what to do with crisis. I compartmentalized my thoughts and feelings so that I could manage the trauma of it. I dealt with what was on the surface, and then I moved on. Or so I thought. I figured I'd already spent so much time grieving in this relationship. There really wasn't anything left to get over. There weren't any tears left to cry. Easy peasy. And really, it did seem that way. In the following years, I slowly began to cultivate an appreciation for all of the amazing things my mom had done for me creatively over the years, for all the things we had in common. I remember dancing and singing to Elton John in our family room and all the writing and artwork she championed in me over the years. And I began to see that an artist herself, she had always been my strongest advocate. My writing job for the Menominee Falls News, she encouraged me to apply and saved every one of my columns. The artwork I brought home from high school, she'd have it professionally framed. And when I look back on my career as an artist, especially in the last eight years or so, she's also been my muse. So there's a place my family used to go just about every winter from age like eight or nine until I was in my early 30s. It's an island off the Gulf Coast of Florida called Sanibel. It holds a really, really special place in my heart and my soul. Because on Sanibel, my mom was different. On Sanibel, she wasn't so much mom as just Gail, Every day, her uniform to the beach, a little mint green strapless terry cloth romper with a bow tied right at her breastbone, and aviator shades. Walking to the beach with her canvas bag over her shoulder, it had snacks, lemon LaCroix, and a fluffy towel to soak up the water, oil, and sweat as she baked her skin in the hot sun. Her hair coiffed within an inch of its life back home on Sanibel, just lay loose and flat, Things were simple here, and Gail was cool. Over a year ago, I traveled back to Sanibel with my partner for what was to be a homecoming of sorts for me. I thought I was going back there to recreate the memories I had on the island as a girl, to go back to the old places I'd always loved to go, to reconnect to the beach, the birds, the shells, the sun, and to reconnect to the good memories I had of my childhood. Well, one thing happened on that trip, and that was that my engagement ended, and I've talked about that before. My partner and I lived through that and have made it to the other side, but another thing happened on this trip too, and I never saw it coming. I'm waiting outside of a restaurant when suddenly I hear a woman's voice speak my name. Stacy. I turn my head, and there, just a few tables away, is a woman who in profile looks just like my mom. I hadn't even been thinking of her. But at that exact moment, I remembered something, and I was blown wide open. The memories of my abuse surfaced right after we returned from our last family trip together to Sanibel 23 years ago. And I recall that here, right here, Sanibel Island, where I am right now, this is the last place I saw my mom while she was still alive. And in that moment, I realized that I have never even cried over my mom's death. And now I'm inconsolable. I'm flooded with grief, I'm sobbing uncontrollably, and I realize that I've never really grieved losing her. Not really, not the foreverness of it. And now it hits me, she's gone forever, and I didn't even get to say goodbye. Nobody gave me that chance, and my heart was broken. So I made a decision after dinner that night to get up the next morning to watch the sunrise with my mom, to honor her memory and try to say a final goodbye. I gave myself permission to cry as much and as long as I needed to. I just wanted to be with her now in a way that I was never able to when she was still alive. To be together on Sanibel one last time. Her sunrise was spectacular. I walked with her along the long stretch of beach and got lost in the shelling that I always did as a kid. I took photos of the shells, the water, the beach, the tide pools. I wept and wept until all that was left was pure gratitude. As I was preparing to write this episode, I decided to go back and revisit the photos I took during my time on the beach last March. There was a set of photos that always stuck with me because I was so intrigued by them. It was a set of mysterious tracks in the sand. I always assumed they were sea turtle tracks because the area we were staying in was a known laying area for sea tortoises. Like, there were even signs on our beach mentioning it. And these tracks were so unusual. I knew they weren't birds. I took probably four or five different shots of the tracks. For whatever reason, as I looked at the photos this weekend, I decided to get to the bottom of what they were. What kind of tortoise made them? Looking at them more closely, it occurred to me that these tracks were made by something else, not a tortoise, not a bird, but what? An image search led me to the answer. The tracks had been made overnight by an Atlantic ghost crab. My breath caught in my chest as I put it all together. My mom's astrological sign, cancer, cancer, the crab. I went on to learn that in some Native American traditions, the crab symbolizes rebirth because they believed humans reincarnated as crabs and other sea creatures. As in other settings, the Native Americans viewed the crab spirit as tied to the moon, our emotions, intuition, and the waves of life. Sure enough, she had been there to say goodbye. And now, Another year behind me, I've come full spiral and blown through what is probably the biggest work I've ever had to do. And just like the month of March, it came roaring in like a lion. But in this case, it went out like a crab. Do you have a full spirals moment you'd like to share? A moment where a synchronicity spoke so loudly or so softly that you just couldn't ignore it? I'd love to tell your story on season two of Full Spirals. Email me at boomstacy1 at com. That's B-O-O-M-S-T-A-C-Y and the number one at gmail.com to share your story or message us on our Full Spirals podcast Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. And please remember to subscribe to Full Spirals on your fave podcasting platform. Support us on Anchor, join us on Facebook, then share Full Spirals with your friends, your fam, the community, because we're all in this together. Till next time, take care.